This is the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series. We are talking to the overwintering project Western Port's project coordinator and artist, Kate Gorringe-Smith. Hello and welcome to the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, a podcast for people curious about art and the lives of artists. Kate Gorringe-Smith sees migratory birds as a metaphor embodying human migration and the search for home and safety. She reveals how she learnt printmaking on Fred Williams's printing press at school and went on to study printmaking at RMIT. Discover how working at BirdLife Australia influenced her art and the genesis for the overwintering project. Kate also discusses how the AGL proposal at Westernport was recently overturned and how the exhibition is a celebration rather than a requiem for this internationally significant site. Thanks for joining me today, Kate. Ah, oh, lovely to be here. Thanks so much, Danny. Really uh, looking forward to having a bit of a chat today and hearing more about your amazing project, which has been in the pipeline for a long time uh, yes. to be on show at Mornington. But do you want to start off by talking a little bit about the overarching idea behind the Overwintering Project? Sure, I'd love to. The Overwintering Project, I started it in June in 2017 and it's the third group project I've done about migratory shorebirds. But this one was like the biggest. The idea behind this one is anybody can get involved in it. But the core of it is because I'm a printmaker It was a call out to the beautiful Australian and New Zealand printmaking community and I'm very lucky to be part of the Print Council of Australia so I know what a wonderful group of people that is and how close-knit and caring that group is. Um, So I put this idea out into the community to see what people would make of it and the idea was artists were invited to go out into their own local migratory shorebird habitat and make a print in response to the habitat. It could be anything. It didn't have to be a bird or a migratory shorebird, although most people have done a shorebird because they're so cool. And they could do an edition of any size, and it could be in any medium, but they send me two 28 by 28 prints from the same edition, one to sell and one to exhibit. So the ones that are sold, all the money goes to um, BirdLife Australia for their migratory shorebird conservation projects. And the exhibited one travels around to wonderful galleries like this, if we're lucky enough. And I guess the exciting thing for me is to see the way that we've installed them at Mornington on a huge wall as as a huge batch. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's really striking and it's a real testament to that work that people have put in when they join the project because it's just a stunning thing to see, that mosaic of images. Yeah, and it's I guess the thing that joins them all together is obviously the subject matter and the medium to a certain degree, but just the diversity in those sort of over 300 prints. When you see them all together like that, it's quite overwhelming, really. Yeah, people I've spoken to have had to sort of come back and have another look because you need time with it to really give them the attention they deserve as individual works. Yeah, Yeah, and I'd love to hear a little bit more as well as an extension of this project being held in Mornington, obviously we're right next to Western Port Bay, which yep. is a really significant and important uh, wetland. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that part of the project? Sure, yes. So as I said, the project's been going a little while and it's designed to raise awareness for migratory shorebirds, which are our most endangered group of birds because they do these amazing epic journeys every year we have 36 species and they spend 
most of the year on our shores from roughly October to April, May. But then they do these epic migrations up what's called the East Asian Australasian Flyway, up the east coast of Asia, and then they breed, most of them breed in the Arctic, Siberia and Alaska. And then they're up there for about six weeks, not very long, and then they come back and some of them fly straight across the ocean, like for days without stopping. And they do that migration every year of their adult lives and over their lifetime they will fly more miles than from the earth to the moon. And one of the places they come back to every year is Western Port. And the reason they come back to Western Port is because migratory shorebirds love mudflats because that's where they feed. They don't have webbed feet, so they can't be swimming in the water. So they dig their beaks down into the mud and they eat the little crabs and the polychaete worms and things like that. And Western Port as you said, Danny, is an internationally significant wetland. It's a Ramsar site, so that's an international agreement to protect wetlands. It's a key biodiversity area, which is a criteria or a sort of a nomination for a wetland by BirdLife International. It's protected by international migratory bird agreements. And it's a UNESCO biosphere reserve as well. So it's got so many layers of importance because it's, yeah, really special special place and luckily just recently we can't not mention i guess the sort of agl development or proposal yeah and i guess the risk that that would have on that environment and luckily the state government overturned that proposal fantastic um, which absolutely was a big win fantastic. for the local community I yeah think. that was amazing and it was the timing of the exhibition of course it was supposed to happen last year but of course you know with covid it was postponed and so it's been quite amazing to have the exhibition during the period when that ruling was actually handed down. And I'm just so thankful for so many, many reasons that it was against the development, but also because it meant that the exhibition could stay a celebration rather than a requiem, which would have been terrible. Yeah. Yeah. The other really uh, fantastic element of the exhibition at Mornington are the contemporary projects, which there's quite a few artists making work in response to this idea. Can you sort of introduce that element of the project? Sure. So in the exhibitions that I've curated personally, as well as the beautiful overwintering project print portfolio, I've tried to gather together artists that I either know or have heard of who I thought would be able to engage with the ideas. And so we've got about 20 curated artists in this one, I think, and I think it's 12 of them have made work specifically in response to the Western Port environment, including Dominic White from Ballock Arts on the peninsula here, and he's done this wonderful hoodie suit. So it's the hooded plover is our most endangered non-migratory bird resident. So a lot of you will probably have been on beaches in the summer with signage and people put up ropes and there's often people, you know, watching to say, could you please, you know, keep your dogs away. That'll be for the hooded plovers because they just nest on the beach and they're so easy to miss their nests and to trample their eggs or their young. And he's done this amazing life-sized wicker and kelp suit that he actually put on and ran around on the Flinders Beach so that he could embody what it was like to be this little bird. So anyway, it's a wonderful piece. And so the work features 
photographs of his performance and the actual wicker suit, the hoodie empathy suit. So that's just one example of how the artists have come in and they've tried to find new and innovative and beautiful ways to, I guess, give people ways to respond to the environment and to notice things in the environment that they might otherwise not have known about or not have thought about in an emotional way. Yeah, and I think the real strength of the exhibition lies in the rich textures that sort of overlap in between the work. So you mentioned Dominic's work, but also Heather's work, which is this sort of quite amazing installation of plants in the gallery. And obviously even people like Liz Walker, her beautiful wings, which look real when you sort of stand back, but then you get up close and they're actually made out of metal. Yeah, that's Um, the beautiful work. And I found it really interesting because, of course, I gave the artists the brief. Oh, and it was supported by a grant from Creative Victoria, so thank you. Creative Victoria, I could pay most of my artists, which is a wonderful thing to do. But yeah, the sort of the synergies between things, I think the playing with scale and also just bringing things into the gallery like the plants, but Heather Hesterman has done the plant installation, but Beverly Meldrum's piece where she's brought in works from the actual beach. So bringing those things into the gallery recontextualizes them and makes people think I think differently about them which is really beautiful. Yeah and there's a number of completely different mediums used as well. There's video work, there's Hank's beautiful wooden sculptures so there's a lot of diversity in the medium which I think gives you quite a lot to look at and um, it's really quite thought-provoking. Yeah and it's multi-sensory because you've got Byron Scullin's soundscape and you've got the beautiful video by Catherine Vassilou and the wonderful other wonderful video, which is an animation by Simeon Lisowski, who's actually a German scientist who's animated the tracking data from a number of birds that have travelled from Western Port up the highway, flyway and back again. And so there's these little red dots that you see moving. And just to think of them being these tiny little fragile feathered bodies travelling these vast distances because it's an animation of the globe and these little birds traversing it. It's just amazing. Mm. Byron's work's quite fascinating. It's obviously, as a sound work, very hard to take like images of it because there's just a series of small little speakers attached to the lighting track, but that sort of imbues the whole space with this beautiful soundscape. Yeah, it ties it all together. Yeah, 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 which is really lovely. It is, and it's lovely because it moves through the gallery because, as you say, he uses those tiny little speakers and I think it probably takes people a while to realise that it's a work and not just you're hearing the birds from somewhere outside. So that's a really lovely sort of sneaky, sneaks up on you, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about pre-overwintering. Yes. (laughs) Um, Because I guess it's taken such a a big chunk of your (laughs) recent life and so much energy, which is just fantastic. What were a couple of things that really inspired that project? Like if you think back to the work that you were making before the overwintering, what was it that led you on that journey? Was there one thing or was there...? Yeah, so I've been working even in my own practice with migratory shorebirds for about a decade now. Seriously obsessed and nerdy, obviously. And what led me to migratory shorebirds was my own sort of story. We'd spent three years as a family living in England because of my husband's work and we came back, the timing that brought us back when we came back was because my father passed away in Australia, but mum and dad were from England originally and moved to Australia in the 60s, in the year that I was born. 
And coming back and being with mum, it made me realise that probably like many immigrants, she'd never really changed her idea of home from England. And with dad gone, that just was all the more apparent because I guess he was actually her home more than any country. And sort of that coupled with our own move back, which was much harder coming back than it was going, which I was not expecting. It made me reflect upon journeys of migrants and refugees who are not in nearly as privileged a position as we were with a home to come back to and doing it for work because we wanted to rather than, you know, for all the other tumultuous reasons people move around the globe. So I was looking for a metaphor for that. And I used to work for BirdLife Australia many years ago in the 90s. So I knew about these birds and um, just the fact that they have that tug every year. They never settle. They're always drawn from one hemisphere to the other. Made me think very much of my mother. She can't leave Australia because she has her children and grandchildren here, but the family she does have left her in London. In fact, she can't even go back to London because the London she would want to go back to doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, the birds are reflect that restlessness I think but they're also really really inspiring because they're just so little and they do that journey every year the smallest of them the redneck stint weighs as much as a tim tam and still does that journey it's 25,000 kilometers every year of their adult lives it's so pretty amazing isn't I it know. like in terms of that endurance and the risk associated with yeah. like flying that Yeah, and when you think of the, like you can do a kind of a Google Maps thing, but it's of the weather. And then you think there's all the terrestrial issues of development and hunting and dogs and cats and foxes, etc. But then there's the weather, they have to traverse that too, cyclones and typhoons. And so there's a sort of a, they, they have the weight of metaphor, these little birds, because, you know, they can embody human migration and that search for home and that search for safety really beautifully and delicately but they themselves as creatures are fascinating as well so that's I don't see myself stopping anytime too soon I'm afraid (laughs) it just draws me in (laughs) the more I learn. No that's great and I wanted to ask you about I guess your printmaking background and what drew you to printmaking what inspired you to sort of I've got a good story for that. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really lucky. The school I went to, I happened to be at the same school as Fred Williams's daughters. And while I was studying at the school, very, very sadly, Fred died very young and he passed away while I was at the school. But the thing that was great for me was um, his widow donated his press to my school. So I learnt etching on Fred Williams's press. Now, if that doesn't make someone a printmaker, <laughs> nothing will, will it really? So anyway, so I did printmaking in um, HSC as it was in those days and always loved the process and then did a different degree and then just gradually came back to it. So actually I did a BA in printmaking at RMIT while I was actually working for BirdLife Australia. So my first prints that I did sort of properly, I guess, were also bird-related, mm. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have the the two running in parallel, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's been lovely because the print community is very much, well, it's very similar in a way to the bird community. Like it's close-knit. People are very passionate about what they do. People love to share information. They're both very, very generous communities. Yeah, Yeah. so 
Mm. It's a real privilege to be able to work with both the communities, in fact. And I guess as part of the overwintering project, Westernport, you've been involved in a number of talks and workshops, but the online workshop that you did for us was an eco-printing workshop, which was really fascinating. Oh, thank you. Just talk a little bit about that process behind the eco-printing. So that's new. That's sort of grown up with this particular project because the project is so much about place. It's really, for me at least, the overwintering project is about ideas of home and uh, if we could extend our idea of our home to include that habitat that we discovered through the birds, then, you know, if you could champion it in the same way you look after your own little patch of turf, then a lot of problems would be solved, just as the good people of Westernport, you know, have discovered you can win these fights. So when I started making work for the Overwintering Project and I chose Westernport as my site because we holiday here in the summer at Phillip Island, but also my husband's family has a long history and association with Phillip Island. And a friend introduced me to India Flint's eco-printing process and she's the guru of eco-printing. She does a lot with paper but I think mainly fabric so I devoured her books and Yeah, and I've been experimenting over the past sort of four or five years with eco-printing as a way to really embed your image in your habitat because you use, um, you can use sort of vegetation materials and I collected seaweeds and other plant materials very carefully and responsibly from um, around the Western Port environment and use them to make the patterns on the paper in my piece. Mm. Yeah. Mm, And it's really fun too. It's very witchy. (laughs) (laughs) You have a cauldron. It's excellent. Obviously, you're not going to be stopping this project anytime (laughs) soon. What are the plans coming up for overwintering? So the way the project is structured, I don't have to be in charge of exhibitions, thank goodness, and the good people of Bitondi Printmakers in Adelaide, they've got a wonderful exhibition coming up, an overwintering project exhibition coming up that opens on June the 5th at Signal Point Gallery in Goolwa, which is right near the Coorong, another very significant shorebird habitat. After that, the prints themselves, so the portfolio won't be part of that, but they're heading to Tasmania. And I've got some irons in the fire in Western Australia and another one in South Australia. So it's just sort of sometimes things come to me and sometimes I'll try and set things running and more and more... The birding community as well is sort of saying this would be a good place for a project. Um, yeah, so I'll just follow it and see where it goes. And finally, we always ask this question at the end of our interviews. What advice do you have for sort of up-and-coming artists in their practice? I would say don't give up. I would say play the long game. The arts are fraught with criticism and disappointment. You'll enter a lot of competitions and you'll get knocked back. And it doesn't mean your work is bad at all. And I think just be true to yourself as well. You'll look at other people and you'll think, oh, damn, I wish I could do that. But probably what you're not thinking is people are looking at your work and going, damn, I wish I could do that. Because everybody's work is identifiably unique. And your job, I think, is to hone what is unique about your own work and follow your own visions. And don't worry if you don't know what that is yet either. Just do what you love and things will fall into place, you know, as you go forward. Beautiful. 
Well, thanks so much for bringing the overwintering project down to the MPRG. It's been great to work with you over a number of years in the delivery of the exhibition and project. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you. It's just a dream having it here. It's such a beautiful gallery, Danny, and it's been lovely working with you and the wonderful staff here. So thank you. Thanks for listening to our conversation series. Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is the region's major cultural facility and is supported by Mornington Peninsula Shire and other partners. Visit mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au to find out about our latest exhibitions and events.